This we offer in humility and fear for the blessed peace of your eternal slumber as it ever was. Take a seat, rip open those trapper keepers, and welcome to the Horrible Film School. I am Chris, here with Ryan Hootie. What's up, fellas? Excited to go back into the woods. Always in the fucking woods with you guys. And Mr. Nasty himself, my brother, from the same mother, Joey. Into the woods and down the dale, the path is straight, I know it well. Into the woods and who can tell what's waiting on the journey? A cleansing, that's what awaits. Fornicus, lord of bondage and pain, and his husband, Bulge, who's ready for some cabin wood, boys. Get cabin fever. Is that like a rated R Snow White movie that you just quoted? What what exactly was that? So let's go ahead and give a uh, warning to all listeners before you proceed with this episode. If there is ever a movie you need to watch before you listen to an episode, this is it. Do yourself a favor and don't spoil it for yourself. You've been warned. Yeah, I guess that would be a disservice to what we're about to comb through here. And I think Ryan Hootie's frozen, by the way. I don't know what's up with this video. Yeah, my video's frozen, but I think He I'm, looks really fucking happy in this. He looks, like, he looks like the lead singer of Puddle of Mud right now. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could remember a pull a mud song right now, but I am no, drawing a blank. Like a, Just do the about a girl shit. cover. <laughs> Today's assignment 2012. There's kind of some debate on the release date here. The Cabin in the Woods. Oh, I have 2011. There is some debate there. Exactly. It was actually re- filmed in 2009. It took a while yeah, to get this actually into theaters. There was quite a bit of delays with this movie. The lesson, always, always, kill the virgins last. So this was my choice. Um, not a blind spot. More of a, an infection. I just wanted to get removed from the side conversations we've had over the past year and a half. A film that has been glossed over and jerked off onto to the point I felt like it needed to be given its due here on the podcast. I think we all watched this when it came out at like 11 o'clock on a Friday. Yeah, this was definitely like an event thing and critics fucking loved it, man. And this was kind of what this was like sopped in, it up. This was in the heart of Rotten Tomatoes before it got taken over by you. Know, oh, yeah. I guarantee that the advertisement attached to this was slapping that certified fresh shit oh, yeah. all over the place. That, that, that actually meant something for a while, though. Yeah, but now everything's either like 90 plus or it's like 20 because it's got some kind of political shit in there, you know. Not so fast, sir. Idris Elba's Beast is sitting at oh. 60% fresh. Jesus Christ. Didn't like he just come trash. out with a couple of stinkers back to right back? Right in the middle. What is this he shit, doing? That shit and the, uh, what was it, George Miller? What in his newest movie? Yeah, 3,000 Years of Longer. Dude, that was a stinker as well, man. He's got a fire he's like, he's like way too like attractive and cool to be doing so much garbage. Somebody give that man a fucking script. Well, he's like a he's like a sexy genie that fucks Tilda Swinton for three thousand years or something. Yeah, I mean that's not that's not gonna put asses in the seat. I'm sorry. First of all, it's Tilda Swinton looking like a fucking space alien. <laughs> She's a unique looking lady. 
Uh, I'm going to pop onto some fan reviews here to kind of give a primer for how an audience may receive this film. We'll start with the one-star review, a one out of ten, with the simple title, Thor Wastes His Skills and Reputation on This Farce. And I will put a note here, I did take both of these reviews from 2020, because for some reason it seems like that that 2020 was the perfect fucking year to get people's real real well, opinions. You know all that time is. stuck at home. I don't know what it Everybody was. I had that fucking free time just sitting at home, just doing shit. If you weren't learning how to make bread, you were watching fucking movies. This is actually from April of 2020, so this is even a month into this shit. I went so through a whole whiskey phase during that time. You know, I was trying to put whiskeys really, really good. I into can it. see exactly. This guy was definitely in lockdown when he wrote this. His name is, or his username is Circles Ed Gein. I don't know what the fuck that means, but that's what that's what it is. That's like a super fucking like edgy, edgy, creepy man. You know he's gonna be a big fan of horror movies. Yeah. Okay. Let's see what he had to say. This is one out of ten review. This has to be one of the dumbest, most ridiculous films to ever be sco- scooped out of a broken toilet bowl. Period. Failure of a concept was vomited out after some non-creative seventh grader saw Hellraiser and The Hunger Games. Then tried to be created by very poorly incorporating elements from some Twilight Zone episode. And the results, Thor wasting his skills and reputation on this farce of pure and total ridiculousness. Ridiculousness. That's how you ended this review. Yeah. He's a big fan of the show. Fucking sad. And I see the Twilight episode like tie in what he's talking about, but I mean Hellraiser and uh, what was what was the other Hunger, Hunger, Games. Hunger Games? What the fuck does Hunger Games got to do with it? Yeah, I'm not following the logic either. But Ed Gein didn't he didn't like this shit, man. They're ripping his style. Moving on, ten out of ten review from Elizabeth Afton. This Ooh, is from November November of twenty twenty. Lady, the lady here with the simple title: the fifth scariest movie I have seen. Please tell me you guys are going through four. In there, in, what the in, in fuck the kind of? <laughs> all right, all right, hold on. Let's read a review. Let's give Liz, let's give Liz her, her shot here. This movie is probably the fifth scariest movie. The first one being all of the Conjuring movies that I have ever seen. Is she like five years old when she wrote this? <laughs> and it's got like the shrieking uh, emoji face there. And that's it. thought that was cute. That's it. That's it. Jesus, this critically acclaimed movie that, like, a majority of people say almost revitalized the fucking horror genre during during that time period, and you find this farce of a review. The fifth scariest movie, Joy. After all the fucking Contra movies. How many Contra movies are there? Three, Probably like fucking four. Well, what do you consider Contra? Because it's all there's like, like prequels and shit. Yeah. Annabelle, that's part of that universe. Insidious. Um. <clears throat> She had to be like a child, though. That's no way. That's that. That's real. All right. So before we get into the nitty gritty, let's look at some of the crew, some of the people attached to the project here. Uh, head of the table, of course, the co-writer and director, guy by the name of Drew Goddard, who wrote Cloverfield and worked on a lot of J.J. Abrams projects like Lost, World War Z. He wrote The Martian, and he's also the creator of. The best thing Marvel and Netflix ever produced together. A little show called Daredevil. You think Daredevil's better than The Punisher? Fuck yes. That's a hot take. That's a very hot take. That's a ste- That's a Cleveland steamer of a take, Chris. <laughs> I don't think it is, man. Daredevil's fucking great. 
The Punisher's great. Man, so much brutality. It's a little, yeah, it's a little, it's a little, uh, little rough. You can't really show it to the kiddo, you know. This is true. Did you ever it's see? Did you ever see that the movie he wrote and directed uh, called Bad Times at the El Royale? I was gonna bring that up. I never did yes. follow up with that one. I remember I got a lot of hype when it came yeah, out. It's supposed to be fucking dope. It's got like an ensemble cast. Uh, I think Hemsworth's in that as well. Yeah, I think um, he's the lead in it's that. Supposed to be nope, really good. it's 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 the other one. Um, Charlie Hennon. I'm pretty sure it's Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I think not Hemsworth Charlie Hunnan. You're talking about Charlie Hunnan. I mean, they might both be in it, but I think Hemsworth is definitely in this. Because he's that. like on the cover, or like with his arms raised, right? He looks like he looks like what's his name from fucking Mud. <laughs> Damn, he, he is looks in that. Like Matthew McConaughey. I stand corrected. Sorry. In the movie. Oh, with John Hamm's in it. Yeah, yeah it's, like it's, one a, of those, it's an ensemble cast. It's a lot of. It's like one of those smoking aces type yeah. things, you know, where there was like twenty, like, at the time, prominent. Actors, Is it? You know? Was it marketed as like a whodunit type bit? Oh yeah, or I've seen it. Not? It's it's kind of forgettable film, but. Really. Yeah. Well, that it looks that and he he's also writing the screenplay for uh, the Sinister Six, which is gonna be pretty dope. I've been talking about that forever. I feel like we've that was supposed to be like the next Spider Man after Spider Man three. We've been pushing that project off forever, so glad to see some the Marvel answer to the what the fuck is that shit called? Suicide Squad. Hey, as long as it's got Nacho playing the Scorpion, that's all I want to fucking see, dude. Fucking Nacho, I miss him already. Uh, I ain't even fucking seen it, bro. The show's over. Yeah, Everyone I haven't watched was... the new season yet. What are we even talking about right now? Myself and the audience with the are fucking spoilers, bro. confused. That's not a spoiler. Everyone's gone. The show's over. Nah, you alluded to some shit. You didn't ruin it for me. I didn't allude to shit. Everyone's gone, man. It's you over. You Game of Thrones? I've already seen them all. Oh, shit. Yeah, so Mr. Goddard seems like a pretty cool guy. can't, uh... Say quite the same for his partner in crime. Oh, here. shit. Here we go. Here we fucking go, dude. All right. So, this movie was co-written by a notorious director by the name of Joss Whedon. Oh, it's Joss. Who is, who is known for creating Buffy and the Firefly series. He directed the first two Avengers movies. And he, quote-unquote, finished Justice League for Zack Snyder. And he's known for being canceled, question mark? Oh, really my God. Here we go know with the shit. The, the dude wrote fucking Toy Story, bro. Man, there was like six writers on, co- he on Toy Story. He wrote Alien dude. Resurrection, if oh you God. didn't fucking remember that one. Bringing that up for a reason? Yes. Uh, also created a little show by the name of Firefly. I threw that out there. Firefly is, is pretty incredible, yeah. Serenity's I never did great. watch that. I gotta get back to that. Apparently, the guy's got an attitude problem. He didn't like fucking touch nobody or anything crazy like that. He's just from like, what I understood. He's hard he to was, work with. From what I understood, he was taking advantage of his position to sleep with some ladies. Yeah, there were some touching involved as well. From what I, they weren't underage or anything, but he I was just using heard his the guy was to, a dickhead. He was being a real Louis C.K. If you know what I mean, Joy. I see. I don't have to talk about these things. <laughs> I just don't know, man. I love Louis C.K. I support Louis C.K. I'm sorry. Anybody who who names themselves Joss instead of Josh, you know's an asshole. Who who the fuck do you know who's named themselves? Yes, yeah, I, I don't know. The fuck well, if you look at Garth Brooks, he is now just G, bud. So it's just That's G. True. You know. I think I don't know Josh Joss. If it's his parents, Michael J. Or, Fox. His name is not Michael J. Fox. It's Michael Fox. You know, he's a great person. 
Uh, I give you that. So. so you're thinking he should have changed his name once he became a professional I just don't entertainer? Think, there's no way his real name is Joss. Jose Whedon. Uh, <laughs> it just seems like Josh. Josh sounds way worse, man. Just like fucking... Ever since the whole Friday the 13th episode, the name Josh is... Josh. Fucking, just a whole other fucking level for My son, now. Josh Voorhees. Slash Dash put a hole in your ass. They was fucking on the fucking porch while he was drowning. <laughs> Get him, Josh. <laughs> They was in Fuck the urinal, up, fucking 69 and with his head down on the toilet. I'm so excited for Freddy vs. Jason when they talk about that. Oh, they have a direct God. to uh, direct to stream. Not my fault, uh, bitch is Friday dead on her feet. Coming out next year, supposedly. Oh, so, Ooh, coming back. Yeah. I really want to get to the oh, reboot, that shit's man. Coming back, man. I think Nightmare's coming back to. You want to get to the archery, huh? Man, he was such a good at. He was so good at archery. I got one more little crude note here if you guys don't want to rip on Mr. Whedon anymore. This is just a shout out to set director by the name of Hamish Purdy. Oh, I did see that. Worked on The Revenant, Predator, and this. So shout out to you, Mr. Purdy. Hey, get him, dog. You should reach out for some uh, mailbox money. I wish I had that guy's life. That's all I can say. Let me go ahead and name drop somebody else. There was a guy who worked on Hey Arnold for a long time. His name was Joseph Murray. <laughs> I think he created it, or he was one of the yeah, writers, wasn't he? Was he was one of the like lead writers. Every time we see that opening credits, we'd be like, oh, Joey wrote this episode. <laughs> nice. It was a very successful television show. Yeah. And then they make a bunch of paintbrushes, too. Purdy, the Purdy line of paintbrushes. Hey, those pretty paintbrushes are expensive. Those are nice paintbrushes. Dim's good brushes. And pretty good brushes. Here's a uh, here's an interesting factoid until we come up with a better name for what these are. Uh, Goddard and Whedon were sued for plagiarism by novelist slash actor Peter Gallagher of uh, American Beauty and uh, Mr. Deeds, who uh, whose novel The Little White Trip, A Night in the Woods, was similar to the plot of the film. Um, he asked for compensation in the form of ten million dollars. Just a little bit from the uh, final take of the film. Uh, the case was dismissed by a judge as the concept of a group of teens being killed at a cabin in the woods is hardly original and has been done time and time again. Good, nice try, Mister Gallagher. Yeah, it's like the horror trope. Stick to being to... stick to being ridiculously handsome and writing books and shit. Yeah, you successful fuck. I got another one here as well. We talked about it back in the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street episode. Probably stepping on Hootie's toes with this one. But uh, Heather Langenkamp, um, also known as Heather L. Anderson, uh, and better known as Nancy to horror Nancy. fans. Um, I think I'll we be talked about this, like I said. Uh, but yeah, she she worked on the special makeup effects for this film. So Yeah, that's freaking awesome, man. Yeah, it's yeah cool. I did have that note because I had to call out on Nancy, even though she was a hey, terrible if you, actress. If you, if you can elaborate on it, have at it. I got nothing other than the fact that I'm, I'm glad that she got work outside of acting. Uh, so the other two I had besides that was Whedon and Goddard wrote the script in three days. So that's fun. And then Goddard wanted the holy grail of horror actors, Mr. Bruce Campbell, to play the director. But he was unavailable. Probably, I'm assuming doing burn notice. I hope to God. Probably doing oh, bubble fucking hotel. And that's why. And that's how Sigourney Weaver got it. Is she was his Probably second s- stuck choice. at a convention signing some of Hootie shit. I hope so. Sign. I hope so. What I heard was 
Jamie Lee Curtis was the first choice for the director. Who'd you hear that from, Joy? Who was uh, your like source? The, the DVD and all that other shit. Half-ass research. Right, the commentary and shit on the DVD. I, mean, I listened to the entire commentary on the DVD. <laughs> I'm pre- I think I stumbled across the fact it was Bruce too, which makes the most sense to me because this is this pitch, this setup is fucking Ash, right? It's his characters, the whole fucking the point of us going to a cabin in the woods at this point. I really, I love Bruce Campbell to death, but he has a specific acting style at his age now that I'm not sure what a fit in this film. It's just an exposition dump. It was probably like one day of work. It's probably. I don't know. Sigourney did a very good job. Is what I'm trying to say. So did she then? She did. I mean, she was Sigourney Weaver. I don't know what else you wanted me to say. <laughs> I'll hold off on that. I just like Sigourney Weaver. Alrighty, folks, get your camping gear. Let's go to the woods. Find us a cabin to stay in. Truth or dare? Dana. Truth. What's that supposed to mean? Well, I'm just skipping ahead. But you're going to say dare. She's going to dare you to do something you don't like, and then you'll puss out and say that you wanted truth all along. The movie opens with a pair of middle-aged men played by... Richard Jenkins, who you might know from Step Brothers, Shape of Water, and Nightmare Alley. Shape of Water. And Bradley Whitford, who you may know from Get Out, walking through a facility. A woman informs them about an incident at the Stockholm facility, but she is ignored. They mention that the facility in Japan will get the job done. You you talked about Bradley Whitford, but you didn't talk about Billy Madison. Fucking Get Out, man. I feel like that was... Or oh, RoboCop 3, Chris. Oh, fuck me. I'm going to sit down. You go ahead. Or Godzilla, King of the Fucking Monsters. Sorry, bud. <laughs> I'm sorry. Richard Jenkins outshines this guy 10 to fucking 1. Nah, no, I no, will no, say. No, 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 no. Hadley is like, Hadley is like the comic relief, man. You got, that guy is fucking great. Jenkins has the big dick energy, though, man. Step oh, Brothers. Yeah, you just can't beat that. It, well, he was in like a few movies like that. He was in uh, Me, Myself, and Irene as well. He's fucking hilarious. Kind of, and he's also he's in one of my favorite horror movies, like Bone Tomahawk. That shit is so good. Oh, I've had that on like the tip of my choices for a while now. Uh, yeah. I've tried to, to watch it. It's twice. like borderline, man. It's borderline. Yeah. Every time he's, I get done, like, ah, is it though? Yeah, he's going to be playing Lionel Dahmer um, in an upcoming miniseries called Monster about the story of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. About Jeffy Boy. Yeah. Who's with, playing uh, Jeff? Jeffy. Evan Peters. Oh, I like He's playing Peters. Jeffrey Dahmer, and I can actually see that. He, I think he'll be he'll be pretty good as the uh, cannibalistic lead. Yeah, I'm looking ready to see Jeff Dahmer again, though. Jeremy Renner actually did a pretty good job. Yeah. How did we never get, and he's too old now, sadly, but the Richard Jenkins biopic playing James Taylor? It looks exactly like James Taylor. North Carolina native, yeah. that's what I'm calling him. I mean, from like... Seen? I mean, yeah. you could be tall. Bradley Cooper can sing for you know one movie. He can't sing anymore. Tell me something, girl. He tried to sing at the Oscars. That did not go well. <laughs> I like that song. It is a good song. But yeah, um, so it's kind of like an unconventional opening here. We're kind of left questioning what the fuck we're watching. Because oh yeah, we're- it takes the audience like it definitely takes them and puts them in a situation of, am I in the right fucking movie theater? <laughs> Yeah, because we hard cut to the titles over them, like, walking down the hallway talking about baby-proofing his home and shit. 
Yeah, it's great. I fucking love it's it. It's just like, bam, cabin in the woods. Still haven't seen a fucking cabin to this point, you know. They mentioned right here um, in this in this scene about a failed ritual that happened in 1998. Um, doing a little bit of research, I think they may have been referencing the movie The Faculty during that scene as like the failed ritual that took place. They, they said talking. it involved it like involved chemistry, and it kind of has the same archetype as this movie with the, you know the jock, the nerd, the the yeah, I can kind of see that actually. And then none of the none of the characters died That's in that movie. Do we? Well, do we have a Robert Rodriguez through line in this? I don't know anybody here he would be kind of attached to that they would throw him a bone like that. Well, they threw Evil Dead a bone about twelve times. So, what else came out in '98? H two O that was ninety eight. Yeah, but it's not going to be. It didn't have like the same archetype. The Frighteners, is they? Yeah, the Frighteners. Frighteners was ninety six. I don't know. He said ninety eight specifically. It's right? always ninety. Yeah, ninety eight is what they specifically said in it. But yeah, I guess the concept, which I guess we'll get to. I don't want to spoil it now. Um, but horror movies themselves, like throughout history, have a purpose according to the rules of this movie, which is meta, obviously as fuck. The scene shifts to a room in a college town where Dana, played by Kristen Connolly, and Jules, played by Anna Hutchison, are talking about girl stuff. Jules' oh. boyfriend, Kurt. Oh, yeah, something oh, wow. about these chicks. Oh, wow, fucking Dana's sitting there in her panties, bro. Panty shot. Score. Jules' boyfriend, Kurt, played by Mr. Chris Helmsworth, known as Thor in the MCU, the really cool fucking dude from Rush. And he's going to be in the upcoming Furiosa. Look forward to that. Walks in and introduces his friend Holden, played by Jesse Williams, who is in Grey's Anatomy, Hootie. I know he is. Yeah. Yeah. A rebound fuck for isn't, Dana. Isn't that exciting to know? They're prepping for a weekend at a lakeside cabin. Just as they head out, Marty, played by... I know this is a big character dump, but this is essentially all the characters we're going to meet. Marty, played by Fran Kranz who was known as Passenger in Donnie Darko and also was in the village, pulls up smoking that good shit from a converted travel mug. So there's a lot to to, to break down here because you went over like eight actors, I feel like. It's every character gets introduced in this one scene, man. So yeah, what, uh... a couple of things I had was Kurt, played by Chris Hemsworth, paid off the mortgage on his father's house with the earnings from this film, which I thought was, you know. Damn. Oh, that's sweet. Stand up, dude. And then I was doing the research on Holden, played by Jesse Williams, and of course uh, he's been on Grey's Anatomy for, for over a decade. He was also Dr. in Dr. Jackson Avery, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants mm. Two. In case you boys, you know, mm. missed that one. And then under little uh, trivia tidbits, one of the ones at the top. We're talking about the top of the list of what this guy is known for: Friends with Harry Belafonte. Okay. That's, that's is it like a family friend? Or? I don't know. It was really weird. That was like a trivia. Fucking thing. random. Who's Harry Belafonte's shake, friend? Shake, shake, Sinatra. <laughs> oh, it's Jesse Williams. <laughs> shake, you know, all the time. Work, work, Benora. I want to watch Beetlejuice now. I miss <laughs> young one on the rider. So, uh, you um, misogynistic guys, you're glossing over Dana and Jules. I'll go ahead and You pointed out the panties. Um... <laughs> Dana was the chick who stabbed herself in the neck in the happening. Um, if you Never guys seen it. 
remember that movie. You, we've seen Spoiler the fucking alert. happening. Get the fuck out of here. That was that trash sucked. ass Shyamalan movie. Wasn't I it? watched that, it too, uh, but I forgot. Yeah, about Wahlberg it. shit. Yeah. Um, also in House of Cards for a couple of seasons. Uh, that was one of my favorite shows for a while. It was good. We're gonna talk uh, about uh, Joss Whedon and Kevin Spacey in the same. <laughs> it was. It was good. <laughs> it was good till it wasn't. And Jules was the uh, yellow cheetah ranger on Power Rangers Jungle Fury. Oh, oh shit. Oh, my God. I did not get Power Rangers. Who do, you, who do you fucking see? Look at that face. No, I'm just like, how did your career go from this to that? Hopefully that preceded this, right? That's yeah, true. It was That's probably better, this. probably a better take. Wow. Well, she really capitalized on that cheetah. Uh, well, I got a couple sure. of things about Hemsworth as well. Uh, he's actually going to be playing Hulk Hogan. Supposedly. Oh, Supposedly. shit. That sounds this cool. This thing keeps getting that, pushed. That's, that, that sounds that'd, fucking that'd cool. cool. Is this going to be oh. like a comedy? So, so <laughs> what? What, I, what I've heard... <laughs> is it going to be a comedy? <laughs> or is it going to be like The Wrestler? <laughs> this thing has been in production for like five years now. And from what I've heard, Hulk Hogan is a part of the writing staff and is overseeing the film. Oh, and yeah, Hulk Hogan yeah. is so full of Fuck. shit about everything that he's done in his life. It is, it's never going to get made. I can imagine him being like really hard to work with. The scene where he has like the premature ejaculation and he tells the lady it's because of the pork that he ate. He is such an asshole. <laughs> oh, it was that pork. All that salt right there made me come buckets real quick. Oh, shit. But yeah, so this is apparently what got him the role of Thor because even though this was released in 2012, it was shot, like we said, in 2009. And upon seeing this, they saw the charisma, got him into the Thor movies. Shot it the year later, but I think it actually came out before this movie did. So this uh, kind of vaulted him before it vaulted him, you know. He was also the receptionist in Ghostbusters and was oh, Rick Grannis' oh, love interest. We ain't got to mm. talk about the Ghostbusters. Oh, shit, wait, that's the, wrong, that's the wrong Ghostbusters. We ain't got to go there. No, I forget. Who do you think Ghostbusters is like the holy grail? It's such a good franchise, man. They really almost destroyed it with that film. What about Marty? Yeah, nothing on Marty. Not really. You kind of oh, covered I Marty. Marty's fucking Marty fantastic. Fucking great. I think Marty. I think Marty like evolved more into a like stage actor, like a Broadway actor. I like Marty. He's a smart fucker. From uh, what, I, what I read really, up on him, yeah. really, really good. Marty was in the shit show that was The Dark Tower. Oh God, uh, it's not his fault. <laughs> but I do have a, a better note for him. Uh, he was so jacked during this film. That's why he wears like so many. If you look at him, he's wearing like four shirts at all times, and he never takes his shirt off when they go to the lake because apparently the dude's he had jacked. like a twelve pack. He was more in shape than Chris Hemsworth. No fucking way. They do super skinny. That's what. Well, I mean, you still have a twelve pack. You used to be skinny and just be absolutely shredded. They said his so. physique was so like chiseled and toned that it didn't want to like take. The uh, manufactured archetypes of the other uh, male actors, and you know, fuck it up by showing him. That sounds trail. like a fucking joke someone wrote and stuck. Nah, no, no, no. You can kind of no see way. it, man. Like uh, in his shirt when he gets out of the car, man. He's got like huge pecs. Huge, huge. Look at his pecs. So pecs are huge. I guess a pothead wouldn't be shredded, is the idea, right? Yoked. He's not. You have a note here yoked. about the thermal coffee mug slash bong was a fully functional mug and bong as portrayed in the film the prototype of which cost five thousand dollars to make yeah when he gets out of that car with that thing it is so fucking cool man that's, that's fucking awesome that sounds that sounds a bit inflated 
I don't know. That thing, like, it was fully functional and everything. But five grand's a lot of money. Well, I guess it is Hollywood, and they spend money on stupid I mean, shit, it's, so. it's literally something of its sense. kind that had never been made before. The guy who probably so made it like, charged, like, $500 an hour. <laughs> it was made out of a meteorite's tear. There you go. Citizen and Hadley, the two men from earlier, are watching all of this happen from the facility. They have been drugging the kids through various means. Hair dyes for jewels, Marty's stash, etc. But they do not say why. Like, how do you feel about all this, like, cutting in and out of, like, showing you what's going on back at this mysterious facility? And then, you know, cutting back to the actual... Do you feel like it takes you out of the story, or...? I think it demeans the horror aspect of it. It takes the first... I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but it takes away from the first hour of the movie feels super disjointed because of this, in my opinion. Yeah, I feel like it it wants the audience or the the viewer to be like, you know, what the fuck is going on here? I I came for you know blood and guts. Where's the where's the where's the horror element? You know, it takes the scary out of it. I guess is what I'm saying. It literally takes that takes that fucking fifteen minute lead up in all these horror movies that are exactly like the cabin in, cabin in the woods horror movies, and it like extends it out for like half the movie. There is a character that is introduced during what you just explained, Chris, and he is the security guard for the control room for Sitterson and Hadley, and that man's name is Truman, played by Brian White. Brian White fucking pointless. was in a little-known film, Mr. 3000, with Bernie Mac. Okay? I love... The fuck? I just like Bernie Mac. Uh, very, but I have... Very little-known. I have a note for you here, Chris. He played professional football for the New England Patriots and professional lacrosse for the Boston Blazers before becoming fuck an actor. Yeah. So. I feel like his character was essentially useless in this movie. I really didn't... He was the outsider looking in, I guess, but I don't know. He's not a good actor. I think it was pretty evident in the film. <laughs> I didn't know what the it's fuck kinda, he just stood there with his arms crossed the whole time. His character's name, too, is a little bit on the nose. Oh, it's supposed to be a reference to the Truman Show? Yeah. That's what I, that's uh, what I surmised. See it. I could see that. They're being very cute in this film. The group stops for gas and directions. The attendant, Mordecai, played by Tim Desarn, who plays MJ's dad for My Beloved Spider-Man is a bit of an asshole. He tells them that they have no problem getting to the cabin. It's the getting back they should be worried about. The kids laugh him off, then he calls Jules a whore. <laughs> they drive away. <laughs> they drive away through a tunnel in the mountain to get to the cabin. As they pass through it, a bird tries to fly across the ravine and hits an invisible wall. Yeah, fucking Marty's trying to insinuate that that this guy was in uh, the Civil War or some shit, saying how old yeah. he is. And he's like, assassin me, boy. Yeah. He said, you were mean to my friend. And he says, that whore? He fucking spits a damn thing and chew at her. Oh, that shit is great. <laughs> I've been saying, assassin? Uh, I've said it multiple times since watching this movie. Assassin me, boy. Some bitch at work tried to sass talk me. <laughs> Don't you sass me, son. I'll tell you what, Mr. Sassy Pants, get over here and suck it. Yeah, this is, this is another archetype. Tim Desarn was in the reboot of Wrong Turn, which was actually pretty good to, to throw it a bone. Oh, so. God, no. Sorry. I had, this I had dude's to, got I had a face. Like, he should be in more stuff. 
Just because he has a very unsettling appearance. I didn't recognize him as MJ's dad until I saw the note doing my research. He apparently is in Fight Club as well. But yeah, there's another Sam Raimi reference, I thought, for the Cabin in the Woods, Evil Dead. You got a guy from Spider-Man doing your random gas station attendant guy. And like I said, this is where we kind of get the concept of the invisible wall, the kind of the setup for what you, I guess at this point, can kind of discern. I don't know. Haven't watched this before. I already know how it goes, you know. But at this point, when you saw it, I guess initially, how did you feel about the bird crashing into the wall? Uh, I feel like the CGI on here looked like shit. At this it looked point. really bad. The bird looked bad. The RV looked bad when it came out of the tunnel. However, the idea of the barrier, I think that's fucking cool. I would say that it's it's really hard for me to to go back to 2011 when I first saw it and answer that question. Uh, because once you once you know, you, you just know. So. Back at the facility, the phone rings and Hadley answers. It's Mordecai. He reports that the college kids are on the way to the cabin, and then he gets mad when they roast his ass over speakerphone. Their ears are stopped. He fucking saying that <laughs> so all the time. He was in character. Is that why they just kept roasting his ass? Yeah, he when was. He, it wasn't he was in character. It's that he's what we eventually find out to be like a true believer. Um, he's so like he's like agent. a religious freak in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like a zealot. He's not just he's not just a worker bee like the rest of these people. He's an actual he's an actual disciple, I think. They arrive at the cabin and unpack. Holden is in his bedroom when he notices a sick ass painting on the wall. God, I think it's he takes bad it ass, man. Yeah, it sick sick cool. ass sick as in bad fucking ass, bro. He takes it down and finds a one way mirror into Dana's room. She starts to undress until Holden tells her what's up. They switch rooms. And now Dana can see Holden, and she like it. This, mother- this motherfucker over here is starting to strip as soon as they strip, like switch rooms. Oh yeah, he know when she's doing. looking, pulling his dick out and shit. What if he started beating off right then and there? <laughs> Whoa. He just did it so fast, he didn't have a chance to come up. It's covered up with a picture. I like how Holden is described as the smart one of the group. And he takes it off and is absolutely shredded, and then that's okay. But Marty, you keep your damn shirt on, bud. You're just too jacked. Well, that's the thing. Up until this point, there's no archetypes established. Like, you don't have your traditional horror movie archetypes. The movie goes out of the way to show Dana as not a virgin. Goes out of the way to show that the character... Um, Kurt Chet, is actually pretty intelligent. Chet, yeah, Kurt, Kurt was Kurt. pretty smart, yeah. He's smart. Um... Marty, yeah, he's a fuck up, but he's actually kind of bright himself. Kurt never and Jules like wasn't this. even a blonde. He's a philosophy man. Yeah, Jules isn't even, isn't even a blonde. And then the fucking uh, the other dude, he's holding. He's like a receiver for the football team. So he's obviously not like just some nerd or scholar, as they uh, refer to them mm-hmm. as on here. So all the people at the facility have gathered to place bets on which fate the people in the cabin will choose. Hadley really wants it to be a merman. A new agent, Truman, is shocked by the way he sees the others behaving. I got a note here about the whiteboard they had. Uh, among the various possible monsters on the control room whiteboard, one of them is just listed as Kevin. Although Kevin is never seen in the tie-in book, The Cabin in the Woods, the official visual companion, co-writer Drew Goddard said that Kevin was meant to be a sweet-looking guy who seemed like he might work at Best Buy. 
until he dismembers people. Oh, he's just he's just Jeffrey Dahmer. Just okay. a fucking guy. He's just uh, Robin Williams in one hour photo. Well, they said, and the only reason I know this is because I actually rewatched the movie here not that long ago. Um, maybe it's possibly emulating or um, referencing Kevin from uh, Sin City. Yeah, I think I encountered that note too, but then this one, I guess, is specifically from the co-writer's mouth, so I assume this was more yeah. to the truth. But yeah, I think they kind of left it vague. Um, I think there was Deadites. There was some other like notable oh, shit was, on that board was, too. There's a ton of shit on there. They had the Rape Tree from Evil Dead. <laughs> uh, rape Tree. Jack O' Lantern. It's a dude with a fucking Jack O' Lantern on his head. Uh, Reptilius. Apparently, that's some like reptile monster from some movie back in like, Anaconda. the seventies. Yes. Um, John Voight from Anaconda's on there. The baby bird. Shit. Hell Lord. Uh, 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 Mateo, what did Mateo tell you? Mateo done. At the cabin, everyone goes into the living room and starts drinking before playing a little truth or dare. Jules makes out with a wolf head mounted on the wall before the basement door flies open. They dare Dana to go down, which she does. The rest of the crew in tow. So how bad did you want to be the wolf head at that point, Chris? The tongue on the wolf head disturbed me because it was way too malleable. So the tongue it was like moving in her mouth. The tongue was uh, rubber, and it had some kind of like sugary dust on it. So when she actually made out with it, it was mm. at least you know decent tasting. Yeah, yeah, the way it moved made me a little uncomfortable. But the tongue I think was, it was made out of like silicone or some bullshit, there you and go. then they put powdered sugar mm. on it to. Uh, to make it look dusty, but also to make it to where it's kind of not like you're sucking on a big rubber dick. Palatable, I guess. Yeah. And they want to suck it on some big old rubber, you know, thing about a wolf's mouth grass. So of course the characters here are like under this trance of being tricked into being these archetypes or whatever. But Kurt seems like he's really into everybody else trying to bang his girlfriend. Oh yeah, I fucking love it. He's dancing in the background and shit like fuck my girl, dog. Yeah, look at that dog. Stick that joint in her asshole, I bet she smokes it. Holden looks very confused, but also very turned on. <laughs> well, you see this kind of shit in movies all the time. And I'm like, does anyone really behave this way? Like, yeah, man, look at my girl's ass and titties hanging out. She, she's absolutely amazing. God, man, I'm going to fuck her so good later. The, I'll tell you about it tomorrow. The Evil Dead cellar door bursting open. It's just, I don't know, the film gets a few, a few like notches in the wrong direction for me there. Too tropey, way too tropey in that aspect. I think that, I mean that's the conceit I mean, that's of the, the first purpose. hour. That's the I get it. That's the reason behind it. I'll get to it later. In the basement, each character grabs a different, unique object: Dana, the diary; Kurt, a puzzle ball; Jules, a necklace; Marty, a conch shell; and Holden, a jewelry box. Dana begins to read the diary aloud, including the classic Latin chant. As per expected, we see the zombified remains of the family mentioned in the diary rising from their graves. At the facility, Hadley is still bummed. We don't get to see a merman. Another Evil Dead ripoff is that she reads Latin out of the book. Chanting. Saying it's just too much Evil Dead connections for me. It's called The Cabin in the Woods. It's really like the the first Cabin in the Woods movie. I think, yeah, this is definitely what the idea was. Like, oh, let's do Evil Dead, but wrap it around this meta idea that the whole thing is no matter who you put in there the same shit always happens there's a reason for it it's reproducible I guess is what uh, 
the point they're trying to make here. You can literally even force your characters into the archetypes you want them in. So, but yeah, what did you guys think about the different objects they touched down? What the fuck was the the ballerina going to be? The jewelry box, um, the ballerina. Well, we saw that later the in the sugar film. plum fairy. Oh, oh I got the girl with all the teeth on her face. What about the necklace? Uh, the necklace was like uh, I think the bride. It was like a. Uh, there was a bride mon- there was so many fu- there's so many fucking like possible monsters and shit. I wish I had the actual they had some sort of like book um that referenced all the actual monsters and all the stuff that was in the movie. Um but there is Oh, was it that visual companion I just yeah, referenced? Yeah, the, a bit the ago. visual companion novel or companion book. Yeah, I definitely could see this having like a whole like literally a comic book attached to it because it's got a lot of Unique visual elements, especially once it gets to all those possibilities. At the cabin, some of the kids begin acting out of character. Kurt and Jules decide to go for a walk. And thanks to some sexy time fog, they prep for some pound town in the woods, but are cut short by the deadheads. Kurt escapes, but Jules is beheaded. As Jules dies, Hadley and Citizen recite what seems to be a prayer. Hadley pulls a lever and blood runs into a grooved stone tablet the ground begins to shake i really liked uh mr buckner like i don't know what his name is the big one with the chain attached to a bear trap oh uh, you like fucking kane he was badass <laughs> that was kane as in my notes yeah he uh he it's another reference he does the fucking michael myers head tilt like every time he's on camera too but I think that's pretty common, commonplace amongst like a lot of horror baddies nowadays. So I had a note about when Jules pulls her boobies out for you, Chris. Drew Goddard was extremely uncomfortable directing Anna Hutchinson's nude scene. Goddard attributes his high level of discomfort with nudity to his Catholic upbringing. But he said that Hutchinson was purely professional and helped him comfort him by suggesting that taking her top off was not that big of a deal. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, then. Okay, why? I'm going to get the panties off while we're talking about it. It ain't that big of a deal. Just pop them titties out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we're just standing here at the grocery store checkout. Who cares? <laughs> oh. You had the whole crew pretty much fapping over this scene. Back at the facility. And yeah, they're all standing there watching and waiting. Oh, <laughs> what does he oh, say? Give me the goods. Buddy. He says, Give your basic human goods. needs disgust me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like I said, we see the blood run through. Kind of start to get the idea there's some kind of ritual or something going on here at this point. Really didn't understand rewatching this why they didn't also kill Kurt at the same time. Kurt runs inside the cabin, tells the others Jules is dead. They decide to barricade the house and stick together. A voice tells him to split up, but only Marty appears to hear it. He begs the others not to, but no one listens. And for some fucking reason, Dana, Holden, and Marty each go into their own rooms. The doors lock behind them. This was a goofy-ass scene, I thought. Because Kurt's like, go to your rooms. I'm like, what the fuck? And they listen to him. Well, no, initially he says they need to stick together, but then they, the people who are operating the, uh, at this point you can tell they're being, uh, not really tricked, but they're being manipulated into acting a certain way. 
um, and they they give him some sort of dummy gas or something through some air vent, and he goes from having a smart, reasonable thought process to the trope of, oh, we need to split up. Right. I really enjoy the effect of Mr. Buckner throwing Jules' head in the house. I thought the head looked really good. Yeah, the head did look pretty good. Practical, too, right? Yeah. No one at the facility can figure out why their tricks aren't working on Marty. Marty just so happens to break a lamp. He picks it up and finds a camera inside. Before he can investigate any further, a zombie crashes in through the window and pulls him outside. They struggle. Marty is stabbed and dragged out of sight. The facility is relieved that Marty isn't fucking up the plan. Blood runs into yet another stone tablet. And this time the ground shakes freaking hardcore, man. Which we'll see why later. A little bit of foreshadowing. So yeah, we're kind of led to believe, but they, again, we don't get the gory kill that we got with Jules, so Marty's question mark off the board at this point. A zombie tries to snatch Dana, but lover boy Holden breaks the glass between the rooms and pulls her into his. They find a door in the floor that leads to another room in the basement. Inside, they are attacked again. Holden gets stabbed. Dana stabs back. And they manage to find a way out via Kurt, who knows what the hell he's been doing this whole time. So there are, not to mention the issue with Kurt showing up in the scene, but also to mention that this was there regardless of if they got the Buckner family or not. Because they're like, oh, we found like their dungeon. Yes, this was uh, the diary had mentioned a young girl being tortured by, I guess, her other family members. So and does this that, is family. Does, are we to believe that room changes with what killer you get? Yeah, I think more than likely this is probably a plot hole, but it can okay. be, due to the nature of the movie and how it unfolds, it can probably be explained away as the room changes depending on which one of the objects the, uh, the uh, five people interact with. Like what have we got like But the logistics of that, who fucking knows? You might not even have access to the room if you don't choose the zombies, you know. Oh, you that's a good point. Be able to get in there. It's just locked. You know, there might be ten other doors that we didn't get to because I just want to see the the Hellraiser knockoff room. That's all I want to see. The three of them get in the R V. The door closes to show a bloody handprint on its side. As they head towards the tunnel, Hadley realizes that the demolition crew never blocked the tunnel. The RV makes it halfway through before the cave-in finally happens. Making it out, Kurt decides to jump the ravine with his dirt bike to go get help. Like the bird, he hits the invisible barrier and falls to his death. More blood runs into stone. I feel like this was all over the fucking trailer back in the day, man. Yeah, that. but the actual sequence of him hitting the wall, that shit actually looked pretty good. It yeah, it looked better than the bird for sure. Yeah, way fucking better. When they demolish the tunnel and Kurt just throws it in reverse and drives this RV out of the tightest tunnel I have ever seen, that dude needs to be like in the semi truck rodeo or something. That was impressive. He's a jock, man. Oh, They're all about straight that line cool backs that motherfucker up. A superhero driving an RV in tight spaces. Yes, yeah, so apparently the little speech he gives before he does this jump here where he talks about he's going to save everybody. This was his uh, Thor audition in a way. You know, it's not a bad thing, too, 
when it's like the last thing he says on the movie. So it's like the most that sticks with you the most. Dane and Holden realize that Marty was right all along. They head back towards the cabin, but Holden is stabbed through the head while driving. Blood runs again, and the RV crashes into the lake. Dana fights off the zombie and swims to the surface. She makes it onto the pier, but is caught and thrashed by the zombie. Mr. Buckner! Kane! I was waiting for the fucking Undertaker to come tombstone her ass. He toys with her for a while right now. I liked how Holden just got it to the neck. Got him, I... He had like the most unceremonious death of anybody in this fucking Driving his RV and wham! Back at the facility, they celebrate a successful night as the virgin doesn't have to die. Every other site has failed to complete the ritual. But the red phone rings and the rules were not followed. One of the others is still alive. If Dana dies first, they will lose. I got a note here about the failed rituals. Uh, the failed rituals from other countries are references to various classic movies and monsters. The Kyoto ritual is a reference to Ringu, also known as the Ring in America. Buenos Aires ritual is a reference to King Kong. Stockholm ritual is a reference to John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh. And the Madrid reference appears to reference Dracula. Interesting. Well, that's cool pretty meta there this whole fucking movie yeah, it's meta. pretty neat because they earlier in the movie they talk about um, all this stuff's based on different cultures like all these uh, these instances so we get to see like what is considered their rituals they must uh, they must complete in order to uh, satiate to satisfy, satisfy what they need to satisfy what they need to satisfy um and I guess for America, it's like your your typical slasher type deal. That's like the American yeah, archetype. the Japanese, you have yeah. like the classic Japanese horror, you know, uh, which I thought it was funny. I don't know if we got to that point yet where Richard Jenkins kind of rips on their uh, inability to complete their ritual because theirs is the easiest according to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do have children, so that would make, yeah, that should be. The yeah, that's exactly what he said. He said, how the fuck can you not kill a room full of nine-year-old girls? <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so they keep referencing that they finish second to Japan. What does it mean to finish second? Is that, like, in time? Got to be time. Well, no, no, I think be. that just means actual, like, success rate. Like, Japan has, like, a perfect record. Oh, just like a clearance. And percentage. then the, they reference the thing from 1998, a little bit earlier in the movie. That's, like, the one blemish on the, uh, the American side. Oh, back to the faculty. Okay. So we have like a 99% finish rate, and Japan's 100%. Yeah, it's like super high. Marty saves the fucking day. Marty. Bopping the zombie with the bong mug. The two escape into a grave, finding a door. Marty has discovered an access panel that runs an elevator. They take it down, and through the glass window of their elevator, can see tons of cool-ass creatures. The determining of their fate was a result of the item they chose from the basement. Can... Can I ask why this became a Disney ride? Is this thing like stops and look at the and then it moves and it stops? It moves and stops. It like, stages it. Yeah, you you you're like on uh, what's the Disney ride that gets made fun of? It's a Small World After Disney. All. There you go. It's this. Well, I think the concept here is that based on who gets released, it would go to their door, move the glass, they go into the elevator. And the elevator takes them right there so they can walk out of that same tunnel, right? 
Yeah, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be similar to that movie Cube. Like a vending machine, I guess is how I pictured it. This was really fucking cool. This was probably my fa- one of my favorite bits in the movie. To this point, like we said, it was very formulaic and kind of blah for me personally. But this shit kind of changed my opinion again on the second watch. And I got a note here about the being with the golden sphere. He's named in the credits as, do you know his name, Joy? Fornicus. Talked about him earlier. Fornicus, the lord of bondage and pain. And, uh, and husband bulges. Reference. And what? Husband bulges. We didn't even talk about the fucking husband bulge. Yeah, I had a note about that too. So before our last episode of last week being Hellraiser, I had never seen those films before besides, you know, like tidbits here and there. I remember watching this in 2011 and that dude being like that, whatever that is, is badass. He just had a great presence. Yeah, obviously a pinhead reference, but uh, yeah, this is really fucking cool. I really like this sequence. Um, I also had a note here about Heather Lake Lincoln Camp. She was one of the members of the crew that created the different effects for these creatures specifically. Her husband is also a special effects artist. Yeah, there's like a shit ton of different monsters. Yeah, like a bunch of stuff. They actually had like a crossover event with uh, the game Left 4 Dead made by Valve. Um, But with MGM, which was the original studio that was going to release the movie, they went bankrupt and it fucked up the actual release date. So that whole thing was, was canned. There's actual enemy types from the game in the cubes that you can oh, see. Oh, like, like Fornicus is uh, like a, somebody you can fight? No, no, yeah, no. It's just like other other monsters in there. Like the Boomer's in there, the Hunter's in there, the Witch, Tank. Um, yeah, it was pretty pretty grandiose idea that fell flat, but that would have been pretty cool. And, um, this did kind of give me like a 13 Ghosts vibe now that you uh, remind me of that. All those fuckers in the little cages they were in. Definitely could see that. Meanwhile, the facility is in a panic because the two have breached their walls. They have plans to kill Marty to preserve the sacrifice. The two teens fight their way into a control room where they find the keys to the kingdom and unleash all the monsters on the facility. Another fucking badass sequence here. This was the movie for me. This 20, 30 minutes here. Like the third act? Yeah, it was fucking great. Yeah. I The only, the only thing I, I had it a question on was why did they not fight each other? The monsters you're talking about? Yeah. Because eventually you're gonna run you're gonna run out of humans. I guess they've been living in proximity for so long they probably know who the enemies are to They're them. Just buds. They're just hanging out. Depends on the intelligence of the of the particular monster. The guards are swarmed by the monsters through a sweet elevator lobby sequence. Shit goes wild, folks are massacred. Marty and Dana are cornered again, but managed to climb out through a hole in the wall. The killer unicorn was the only note I had for this sequence. That shit was fucking awesome. Yeah, that shit was dope. He <laughs> just run up there and impaling people. I was just cracking up. There was so much cool shit going on here. This is this was Chef's kiss right here, man. This is made up for a lot of fucking misgivings for me to this point. It was just a regular fucking horse with a horn on his head. He <laughs> just impaling a gun. <laughs> Of course, you had like the mutants who could like spew acid. Oh yeah, they you were they were like fucking... waterboarding that dude on the table. Yeah, shit was yeah, great. It was fucking great. The too. clown it was all bang. That was cool. Yeah, everything here was fucking awesome, dude. Yeah, pretty much every movie monster you can think of was in this scene. 
Some variation so of them. So yeah. fucking good. Massive Cobra. In the main control room, most of the crew are killed by monsters. Hadley finally gets to see his merman right before it eats him alive. Another fucking fantastic scene. Citizen manages to escape, but he is fatally shot by Dana. He tells Dana, kill him. Well, she stabbed but it's Yeah, she stabbed him. Did you watch oh, the movie? Shit. <laughs> she does stab him. Yeah. I did. I have stab written down. What did I say? I said shot. Shot. Oh, shit. Shot his ass. He is fatally stabbed by Dana. That's what I have written down. Sorry. She, she fucking like pulled a wanted on him and just shot him around the corner. Just fucking bent the bullet. <laughs> but yeah, the whole merman scene was fucking great. I think I read that it was considered like the biggest crowd pleaser when they tested it for audiences. Yeah. Because the, the water or the blood coming out of the blowhole. Yeah. That shit was fucking sweet. I think I read they said they shot it blowing out for five minutes straight. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> they just let it roll <laughs> until it ran out. <laughs> yeah, the costume design and the uh like the character effects or the creature creature designs are so good. Yeah, because at first I was like, What the fuck is this thing crawling at this guy? I was like, Oh shit, it's the merman. It it's almost like a lot moment. of these a lot of these creatures just had movies of their own, you know. Yeah, I think the Merman movie would have been fucking cool. Like, there's so much potential with the franchise and it's kind of a shame they didn't do anything with it. Marty and Dana end up in a room with all the character outlines and they realize each one represents one of them. Everything that's happened to them has been part of a ritual sacrifice. The director, played by Sigourney Weaver, who you may know from Alien and Ghostbusters, appears. She brings the exposition dump. The whole facility is maintaining a ritual sacrifice to the dark gods who once ruled the earth. Zool! I'll wait till Alien before I blow my figurative load and we talk about whether she's hot or not. But yeah, anytime mm. we get to watch Sigourney Weaver, it's a, it's a treat. She's just so good. Spoiler alert, she is hot as fucking Alien. Uh, I don't know about all that, honestly. Yeah, we'll talk about it. I'll, re- I'll reserve judgment for her. I do have the note here that they wanted Bruce Campbell to play the director, but he was unavailable. The second choice, Sigourney Weaver, was cast instead. So this has to be alien, right? They're tipping the alien's hat here. That's why you pull her in for this. They're trying to be meta. That's why they wanted Bruce Campbell, obviously. So but they just, I think they just meta want somebody recognizable associated with a recognizable horror franchise. Horror franchises. There's very yeah, few people you can think of. Nice. That, yeah. Jamie Lee. Apparently Sigourney. Sigourney Weaver's whole thing was if it's got a werewolf in it, she wanted to be in the movie because she wanted to That's be so in the movie random. with a werewolf. The director explains that the ritual is meant to keep the gods dormant and must follow specific rules. This is what I was telling you about earlier, Hootie. There are five sacrificial victims. The whore, the scholar, the athlete, the fool, and the virgin. The order does not matter as long as the whore dies first and the virgin is the last one alive. So Jules had to die first. That's why they focused on her and let Kurt go. Okay, so kill, That's the rules. So kill Kurt right, right there. Kill Jules and then immediately kill Kurt. Hey, good luck doing that shit. Dude's like 6'4", fucking Fucking Thor, man. Kane is going to beat... It's, Kane's going one-on-one with a Greek god right right there. Kane oh, got shit. fucking executed by a 95-pound girl. I mean, yeah, shit. True. Imagine him going against the god of thunder. He might get thunderstruck. This also kind of explains why we had such a big rumble when Marty was uh, 
falsely given the blood tribute, even though he hadn't died yet. The so, gods were a little pissed off. Where does that blood come from? Another question. I don't know. Maybe it's like blood from the previous iteration of the ritual. Oh, okay. Collect the Reservoir. bodies and maybe. Reservoir. Gotcha. There you go. So, as it stands now, Marty must die to save the world. Dana raises a gun to kill him, but she is conflicted. She is soon attacked by a werewolf, and Marty chooses to fend it off with the gun because he's a decent fucking guy. Uh, Marty let her ass get bit by the fucking werewolf. I would have let his ass finish her off personally. Because he's got nothing to lose at this point. The director is attacked by the zombie girl. And Marty kicks both the motherfuckers into the pit with the gods. Dana and Marty make up and smoke a joint. Here they kind of have the whole debate of is humanity even worth saving? Yada yada yada. What the fuck can we do at this point? They also realize that Kurt doesn't actually have a cousin. The ground shakes and starts to crack open. A giant hand comes crashing up through the cabin as the first of the old gods reaches the surface. So this technically has one of the largest kill counts of any horror movie. The entire human population is eradicated at the end. Mm-hmm. That's funny. I think it went from like it went from what zero in the first forty-five minutes to I think it's like described as like sixty on screen, and then by the end of it, it's uh. The entire, what, is it 8 billion, do you say? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Don't you worry, Mr. Josh Whedon in the behind-the-scenes documentary really played that up like an asshole. I'm making the movie that, ever, that kills the world here. I'm, I am the best. What a dick. Three days he came up with that hoodie. What the fuck is it? What's most you've done in three days? I took a really big shit today, if that, if that helps. Passed the kidney stone. That was... <laughs> But yeah, that's that's the end of the game there. Uh, big giant hand comes up, crushes the fucking world. Where I guess we're made to believe these are actual gods that we may know from like uh, Norse and Greek and Roman mythologies. Um, Thor was coming out of Kronos, the ground. right? Kronos, right? Isn't he the biggest one with the big fucking hand? Isn't Kronos like the god of time or some bullshit though? Man, yeah, maybe you're right. But I thought he was huge. I thought he was a titan. Yeah, it was Neptune coming out. Itch. Neptune's in the fucking ocean. Poseidon. Isn't it? I don't know, Chris. Okay. They're the same, man. Greeks and Romans. Just copying each other's shit. Uh, that song during the credits is uh, by Nine Inch Nails. That shit is really good. Yeah, it's I did like last. that song. I did listen to the, that track there for a bit. Shout out to Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor's got that voice, man. He's a hell of a composer. He does some fantastic Hell of a composer. I love his work on uh, that dragon movie. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo has a great fucking yeah, soundtrack. Shit. Social Network's a great soundtrack, too. The lead singer of Nine Inch Nails does this? Has won Oscars for composing movies, yeah. Wow. Good for him. The Social yeah. Network. He did Watchmen, the HBO show. It was really fucking good. He's done a lot of good work. Actually, follow him on Spotify just for that. Mm. Spotify play. All right. Uh, as far as memorabilia, I think this is a fucking easy one. But what do you guys got? What do you want to take home with you from the cabin in the woods? So I knew that it was going to be an easy one. So I didn't choose the easy one of the coffee mug bong. 
Fucking losers. I went a little more, you know, back to my wrestling roots, and I and I tag teamed up with Kane because I want that uh, bear trap on a chain. You know, you're, you're outside at nighttime walking your dogs. You see a possum. You sling that damn thing, and then bam, that possum's gone, man. You fucking Bruce Lee. How are you going to handle that thing? Man? I don't know. I'll have to you train. Don't Me you and Kane will train. Beach? Wouldn't you like throw that at a dolphin or some shit? I have possums. <laughs> I have possums at the beach. <laughs> uh, I don't fuck with possums. Uh, but for me, it's uh, pretty obvious the Huntsman painting in Holden's room where they're dismembering the sheep. That's like some of the most metal shit I've ever seen. Give me that. Yeah, that's creepy. It looked like a good piece of artwork. Put that in my foyer. I'm going to take the $5,000 bong travel mug because it's just too fucking obvious. Uh, I do like a good cup of coffee. And if you can pack a little ganja in there too, why not? It's also worth five thousand dollars, apparently. So it's five. Fuck, I could probably sell it for ten right now. But <laughs> man, the end. Fucking. Let's talk about the economy while we're around. Anyway. All right, boys. Let's uh, settle up. Get the grade books out. Get these letter grades written down. Mister Joey, how did you feel about the cabin in the woods? Uh, so truth be told, I love Cabin in the Woods. So I'm about to suck this movie's dick. Uh, this movie is like a horror creature bukkake, and I want to be covered, I want to be smothered like my Waffle House hash browns. It circumvents all assumptions, much like the original Scream and a personal favorite of mine, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. It's almost like Goddard and Whedon, with their creative direction, were holding a mirror to the uh, entirety of the horror genre by showing just how lazy and predictable it had become. Uh, the cast is great. The concept is amazing. It's one of the most rewatchable horror films I've ever seen. Uh, the third act is one of the best in recent memory. Um, if I haven't made it obvious at this point, I can't praise this movie enough. There's nothing in it that I don't like. Uh, with its humor, its originality, its deconstruction of tired, repetitive tropes and formulas, its subversion of expectations, it's a one-of-a-kind movie uh, and earns an A. From me, without a doubt. And hey, wow! Don't be stingy, Joy. All right, 2011 Cabin in the Woods is a well-made horror film, given the current landscape of the genre in the last couple decades. It's been, it's been pretty dry and barren. This film does not quite hold up to the level that I had placed it in my head, but it definitely is a solid watch. I, with that being said, would not recommend watching the behind-the-scenes doc that can be found on the Blu-ray that I rented from my public library. Oh, God damn it. Because Joss Whedon comes off like an asshole, talking about how many kill counts he has, talking about how cold it is outside in the woods while they're filming. And, talk, and then, the, from the director's standpoint, he was talking about how Vancouver was the best place and only place to shoot a cabin in the woods type film, which I think is a slap in the face to Evil Dead. They filmed in Tennessee and North Carolina, our home state. And they just kind of made it seem like they were creating a much um, just a, a more original film than it actually was, is the interpretation that I took. So with all that being said, I would give this movie a B. This was a movie I absorbed, took the twist, left feeling fine, and then put on a shelf back in 2012, 2011. Uh, but once the acclaim came in, calling it the best horror movie in a decade, et cetera, et cetera, I soured on it. 
going back through, I will say the first hour is still just fine and not as funny as it aims to be for me personally. But on the other hand, the last 30 minutes are horror fan candy. The monsters getting unleashed was fucking fantastic. Effects works was fucking great. The visual gags were great. The fucking unicorn was my fucking favorite. I just love that bit of the movie. Um, I really love the character of Marty, too. He stole the show, kept me going through the final frame. So, best of all time, this is not, but it is a damn fine entry in the horror canon, in my opinion. I'm going to give it a B plus. So, I've changed my tone. What the fuck were you at? What were you at to begin with? Like a D? Probably, man. The people were just all over this I also thing. changed my tone. I thought it was a really good film, man. I was super stoked to watch it again. And it, it sounds just, like a lot of the, like the behind you base your review on a lot of behind the scenes on the people attached to it. It really messed with me, man. It really did, and that's being honest. It really messed with me of how much they thought they were just the shit for making this copycat of every horror film of all time. They thought this was so fucking original. Lick. I got really pissed off. I mean, it's <laughs> definitely. I would argue it might be the most original horror film ever made. Yeah, it's like this. This you. This hasn't been done before. I mean, that's the definition of original. It's the most unique horror film about horror films I've ever seen. Because it takes every horror film ever made and breaks so it into this its is better. Canon. This is better than Scream. I think it's better than Scream. That's mm, okay. But this is directly referencing like everything. Every horror movie you've ever seen is an iteration of this ritual, according to this movie, right? It encapsulates every horror movie ever made. Like that's the next level of meta, you know. For me, Scream did it more tastefully, not as. Yeah, I think Scream is a better movie, but I think Scream talked about being a movie, but it wasn't necessarily like this. I don't know. It's just a different level. It's yeah. a, a step above meta. I don't know what the fuck you would even call it. The god of meta. Meta, meta. So yeah, man, that wraps her up. Uh, closing these grade books, we want to venture into our audience score guesses from 2012's Cabin in the Woods. Uh, we'll start with the high man, who was Ryan Hootie. Always he wanted to man. give this bad boy an 88 with the audience score. I myself said an 80. Joey said a 75. Kind of the inverse of uh, our actual scores there. The actual audience score was a 74. Joey almost hit this motherfucker on the head. Ooh. Almost knocked him Let's out of the go. park. <sighs> he almost got that bukkake he's been craving, apparently. Yeah, I just, uh, it was like, just the last 30 minutes, I was just being showered left and right. I fucking love uh, it. The last 30 minutes were fucking great. So good, so good. So yeah, man, that puts the ball in your court. You get to decide what we're going to watch. All right. Congratulations. Enough, enough of all da, this da, da, da. funny, sophisticated, smart bullshit. We Let's watch something watching. stupid. We watch Rawhead Rex. Let's get to something that's actually fucking scary for once in our lives. Something I guarantee Hootie's ass ain't never seen. Jack Frost. Let's kill two birds with one stone. Let's get in our first found footage film. Oh, God. As well as our first foreign language film. Oh, God. We're talking about 2007's Wreck. Oh, that's a good film. Okay, I've seen the American version. <laughs> The American, the American version is version. dog shit. The American version sucks. Yeah, it's got Deb from Dexter in it. Yeah. I know. It was terrible. <laughs> it was not good. I didn't I say it was good. The theater, man. It was terrible. Oh, this movie is fucking fantastic. It's so fucking good. It's good. Yeah. It's a good way to get your toes dipped in the waters of, Tip-tose. you know, the foreign language films. 
Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Guess how long this movie is. I think it's like 88 80 minutes. minutes. It's like an hour and 15 minutes. That's perfect. All right, so we'll hop on YouTube, check out the trailer for Rick, also known as Record from 2007. God, she's so hot. I have to focus so hard on this. Hootie's already fucking behind with the subtitles. <laughs> Can you rewind that? <laughs> the public library has a dub version. Oh, shit. Oh, the public library ain't going to have this shit, I don't think. I doubt it. Oh, shit. Damn, I ain't seen this in a minute. <laughs> Fucking shit. I have seen this. I remember her in that white t shirt. Oh, yeah. I do too. Fucking pervert. I'm just saying. I remember Bruce Willis in a white t shirt too, Chris. This is a really tasteful found footage, though. Yeah, this is definitely the best of a, one of the best of a time. I'm pretty pumped about this. All right, boys, what do you think is this audience score for Record? Spanish language film from 2007. I'm going to go ahead. I'll just stick with my original score on the last one. Go 75 again. I'm going 81. Tory Holt. I'm going to say there's some xenophobic motherfuckers out there. I'll skew this down to a 70. Even though personally, I think it's way fucking better than that. Thank you for listening. Check out the website, horriblefilmschool.com, to find us on all podcast platforms, as well as links to all the social outlets. Give us a follow. Leave a review. Send us some handcrafted bongs. I'm going to offer my support to women pressured into making out with inanimate objects for pure entertainment value. If someone wants to see your naughty bits that badly, charge them for it. All right, folks, as always, like and subscribe to the show on all the podcast platforms. Spread the love. Spread the campaign. I'm going to go find a handy cam somewhere in my house and play with it in preparation for the next film. I'm out. Thanks for all the likes, listens, downloads, follows, all that good stuff. Really appreciate it, as always. And, yeah, we'll uh, see you in the next one when we tackle 2007's Wreck. Take care and uh, class dismissed.